Well, welcome. We are uh, getting towards the end of our study on the spread of the gospel, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you. One thing I want to say uh, before we continue this morning is is that I want to remind you about the importance of prayer. Um, obviously, the two most critical aspects to evangelism are actually speaking the message and then praying to God for help, and maybe in reverse order, praying to God for help, and then um, because ultimately the the salvation of the lost, the, the salvation of our own souls could not have happened apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, and so we pray for His work. And that's why I passed out that uh, four by six card at the beginning, and had you write down three names of people that you already know, and um, and people that you can be praying for. But um, as I heard one pastor put it, why bother praying if you're not going if you don't intend to say anything to them about the gospel? Okay, so so I think both of those are important. God expects us to trust Him, and also He expect, expects us to tell them. Right? How can they call on Him, in whom they have not heard? They will not call unless they have been given the message. And and if we know them and we have the message, why would we want to keep that from them? So let's. Uh, you know, pray in that way personally. In fact, let's just take a few seconds. If you have that card with you, you can just pull it out right now and and um, and uh, pray for those people on the card. If you don't have it, just think of two or three people around you that you already know that you can be praying for, and um, and uh, we'll take a few seconds to do that, and then we'll pray together, uh, and I'll lead. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be your ambassadors to speak on behalf of you. And we pray for your mercy and your grace as we seek to do that. We we don't want to just say these words, but we want to follow through on them. And so we ask for your help as we seek opportunities. And we pray that, that the only offense that would come in our relationship with them would be the offense of the gospel, which necessarily will come. And often it's an offense that helps them, that shakes them up a little bit and helps them to see their, the importance of the message and the, the call and the necessity to respond, the urgency. Help us, we pray, and help these people for whom uh, we have just prayed individually and that we know personally and want to see the gospel um, take root in their hearts. We pray for grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, for the past uh, 11 weeks, we've focused on personal evangelism. How do we motivate and equip ourselves to share the good news of Christ? There are three things that are necessary in order for evangelism to happen. We need to be available, equipped, and we need to be motivated. And um, so I, I uh, tr- am trying to encourage you and, and myself as well to be available. That's one of the, my biggest weaknesses, I think is that I don't make myself available enough to unbelievers, especially since you know, um, my job is, is a pastor, so I'm not around a lot of unbelievers um, other than the contacts that I make with the church and then any uh, neighbors or, or friends, things like that. So uh, I need to make myself available. You need to make yourself available to unbelievers and guard against the cocoon mentality. You know, we're going to just kind of lock ourselves up in our own little world, our own little Christian world, 
and not have any interaction with unbelievers. But also we need to be motivated and equipped, and that's what we've been trying to, to do. I'm trying to motivate you from the Scriptures, from the theology of the Gospel, uh, to spread the Gospel, and then also to equip you to, so that you know what is to be done when it comes to the Gospel, what kind of results you're looking for, and so on. Today we want to look at the local church's role in our evangelism. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. What is the local church's role in our evangelism? We want to look broadly at how our church is seeking to spread the good news and serve as a witness to those outside the church. And as we do, we'll consider implications as to what this means for our personal evangelistic efforts. We also want to look more specifically at at, uh, how we can use this church effectively to help our witness to non-believers. All right. So the key idea for this class is that the local church is foundational for motivating and equipping us as individual members in our personal evangelism. The local church, as it communicates the word, obviously is foundational for motivating and equipping. So, will someone read 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9? Okay, so who's Peter talking to? Old Testament believers, people who are of the uh, the law of Moses. Who's he talking to? Okay, he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers uh, following the uh, the death and resurrection of Christ, and he calls them a chosen race, which we would think of we would think of Israel. Is, is the chosen race, or royal priesthood, a holy nation. Those sound like things that are talking about Israel. The point is that Peter's saying that really the church is in some way that kind of people for God, that they are God's special people, that they're called out from the world and notice their purpose, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So he's talking to Christians and he's saying you once we're in darkness, now you've been brought into light and one of the purposes for your existence and perhaps your primary purpose for, his, for your existence as a Christian is to proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of that. To, 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 to um, resonate with the, the truth of the Scripture, to make clear to the world that God is truth. And I, I've often said it this way that the primary way that God displays His glory and His power in this age, in this dispensation, is through the church. It's through believers who have been transformed by the power of the Spirit through the Word and who are living according to God. They're showing God's worth. That, that God, You are worthy of being followed. You are worthy of being served even despite all of the, the troubles and difficulties that come in life. So that is that is uh, the purpose for which God called us. He called us to good works so, to pr- to, so that we would um, proclaim His excellencies. And what we see here is that He's not talking to one individual Christian. He's not saying, you individually have been called out of darkness into this marvelous light, and so you individually proclaim those excellencies. Instead, He's saying in the context of a whole group of people that you as a church 
proclaim the excellencies of God. That that you are a a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And um, so I think that, that the church is necessary and foundational for motivating and equipping us as individual members in our personal evangelism. And perhaps you've seen that in your own life and you've experienced that for yourself. Um, you know, uh, there are successful churches in the best sense of the term, okay, in the godliest sense of the term. Successful in the sense that they are obeying God and doing God's purposes. There are churches that are like that, that don't have, uh, that are not built on big programs, that are not built on lots of mass mailings or uh, telephone surveys, but rather they're, they're built on members who are serious about the truth of the gospel and who recognize that in order for a person to come to Christ, they don't have to pray the prayer immediately after having heard the gospel. Okay, What I'm getting at there is there has been this mindset for decades Okay, in our churches and churches like ours that, that has said, okay, we need to get them the gospel, we need to give them the gospel, and then we need to get them to make a decision. Right? Right on the spot. You're going to do this? You want to go to hell? Okay, you don't want to go to hell, do you? So you need to pray this prayer. And what we've found that over time is that we've, found, we've had a lot of superficiality when it comes to these kinds of decisions. And you know what people are trusting in? A lot of these people? Okay, because some of you may have come to Christ that way. Okay, so please don't let me disparage that. That's not what I'm trying to do here because God is merciful even in those kinds of situations. But I'm saying that that's not biblical. Okay, that's not what the Bible prescribes. Uh, what we found is that over time that these kinds of people are trusting in their prayer. Like, I know that I'm a Christian because I've prayed that prayer. And And what the Bible teaches us is that you know that you're a Christian if you're walking in the truth. You know that you're a Christian if you're if you're living in love toward one another, right? That's what First John is very clear about. First John three and First John four. Hey, don't say that you love God if you can't love your neighbor. If you can't love, actually, not just your neighbor, anybody out there, your brother, other Christians. If you can't show love to other Christians, then don't say that you love God because you're a liar. That's what John says in First John four. So. Um, so we want to get away from that sort of mindset that just gives us another notch in the belt. We've got somebody to pray. We've gotten somebody to pray the prayer, and we want to to see some real uh, change. And that's only going to happen as we invest ourselves into them, um, like a like a farmer who's not willing to just staple um, or duct tape apples on his tree. He wants to actually cultivate the ground in which the tree resides, and then see the change happen over time as God ultimately does the work. So, if we want to get away from some of those things, you know, that that are not necessary according to the scriptures, then then what are we supposed to do? And and today we want to consider two primary ways that we do um uh see the church as vital for our for our evangelism. First is the proclamation of the gospel and secondly is our lives together as a community of believers. First, the proclamation of the gospel. When people think of church evangelism, they may think of many things like big programs, evangelism explosion, or seeker-friendly churches. 
uh, tailored to a specific group of people. You know that sometimes that, that's what can happen with churches is they they find a niche in the market, like they find one group of people, you know, 40-year-old um, uh, yuppies or something or or you know um, whatever, and then then you got all these different churches that are so. Um, they're so specific as to the target audience that they're reaching that they haven't really um, they they haven't really shown that they understand properly or or uh, the Ephesians chapter three, which talks about how God is helping Jew and Gentile people that you know two groups of people that wouldn't normally mix, and yet they're coming together around the gospel. That's the beauty of the church, by the way, is that that when the church comes together with all sorts of diverse people, different economic levels, different education levels, different uh, ethnical ba- ethnic backgrounds, then and they're all coming together, the world's thinking, why? Like, what do they all have in common? I mean, that, I would never come together with people like that. And the commonality is our love for Christ and our love for one another. And so... Uh, when it comes to church evangelism, uh, we should think primarily about the continual and faithful preaching of God's Word, the the, uh, the center around which we meet. Based on what we see in the Bible, the most basic and important evangelistic ministry of the church is the continued and faithful preaching, that's your blank, preaching of God's Word. The most important evangelistic ministry that our church can do is to have continued and faithful preaching of God's Word. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And notice the command here. Paul's writing to Pastor Timothy, and he's giving him some instructions as a younger pastor, probably in his early 40s. And notice the commandment, or or the charge, okay, but probably a better way to put it, a charge that Paul gives to Timothy, this young pastor, in verse 2. He says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickle, tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So, Paul doesn't say get good at, at programs, at age-appropriate programs. Okay, Get good at, at building a youth group with lots of hip ideas and so on. Okay, Get good at, at lots of things that are going to draw people in. No, he says your most important task, Timothy, is to preach the Word. Uh, the, the Word is so important and the preaching of the Word is so important in our church because it's constantly calling us to repent and believe. Okay, not just when we have unbelievers in the crowd, they need to repent and believe, yes. But we as believers need to repent and believe. We constantly need to be turning from our sin and turning in faith to Christ. Not as if uh, you know our salvation is not final and so we need to keep earning our salvation. That's not, not the idea. But those who are genuinely, those who have repented and believed will continue to repent and believe. For this lifetime, obviously in the next we won't need to, but um, because uh, we will have no sin in the next lifetime, and we won't need faith in the next lifetime because our faith will become what sight, right? So um, one author puts it this way: the purpose of preaching is to bring 
is to bring those who are outside of the covenant in and to teach those who are in the covenant community to walk suitably in the covenant. Evangelism and edification should not be separated. And Jesus, when He gives us the Great Commission, doesn't seem to separate them either. He says, make disciples of all nations. He's saying, make mature and dedicated followers of Christ with the preaching of the good news. And the church is established for that very purpose. And that's one of the reasons that we try to emphasize here at our church the faithful preaching of God's Word Sunday after Sunday. It gives non-believers who attend our church the an opportunity to hear the good news of Christ. To hear one aspect of it or to hear it completely. And and um, it also allows believers who are here to to um, to constantly be reminded of that gospel message and take joy in it and, and live according to it. So the most important evangelistic ministry of any church is the continual and faithful preaching of God's Word. Any questions on that? Jonathan. Yes, and we'll get to that how that how, how that works together. But the, yeah, the, what, don't hear from this first point that that you you have you're done with your responsibility out there. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, but the point is that uh, the best way to equip you and to motivate you, and, and I'll, I'll I'll unpack that here in just a second, is to um, is to have the right preaching of the word in the church. So let's think about some implications, and maybe that'll help answer that question. Okay, first, for us as individuals who are presented day after day with opportunities for witness, hearing the Word preached week in and week out actually equips us with the knowledge of Scripture essential, uh, essential to be effective in evangelism. Okay, it, it gives us more boldness and confidence to share God's Word with other people. Has it ever happened to you that something that was preached within the last week or month or maybe even year has come up in conversation? And you used it to to help. Like now, I've studied through this with my church, and now I I have a better understanding of it. And now I can use it to help this person to understand why they need to come to Christ. Okay, so that's one implication: is that it helps us to to understand, to 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 clarify the the purity and and the truth of the gospel. And now, as we see it more clearly, we can hand it to others more faithfully, more helpfully. And it, it gives us boldness. You know, we don't have to say, well, you know, I never really thought about that. I, I've never really worked through that question before. I never thought about that passage. Well, as we're as we're learning more and as we continue to be refined in our understanding of the Scriptures, it actually gives us boldness and confidence. And that's why the word faithfully preached is so important. It, it also drives us toward personal sanctification. We become more mature and we produce the fruits of the Spirit and it helps to uh, to show the non-believers the life-changing power that's found in Christ. And there's a passage that we've been looking at. In fact, we're, we're here. Look at Second Timothy 3 and someone read verses 14 to 17.
that's okay. You got enough to share for, with everybody, or? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. Um, um, thank you for reading that. Uh, okay, so here's what I want to focus on here. That verse 16. Again, these are familiar verses, but don't 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 let them become so familiar that they're unimportant. Okay, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God, and they are profitable for these four areas. So that, verse 17, the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So, would every good work include evangelism, do you think? Is evangelism good work? Good. So, if evangelism is included, then what does it tell us that we need in order to be equipped for evangelism? Verse 16, all Scripture. We need to know the Scripture. We need to to have a an understanding of it and... Um, and the Scriptures prepare us to do that. Faithful preaching of the Scripture prepare us to do that. Secondly, faithful preaching protects and preserves the good news of Christ from false doctrine. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here Paul exhorts Timothy to expose false doctrine, um, which doesn't agree with the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone read verse 16. I'm sorry, that should be chapter 4. Okay. Yeah, sorry. First Timothy 4.16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, preserving these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both to yourself and to those who hear you. Okay, so here... Right. Uh... Here, Paul's talking again to Pastor Timothy. And he's saying, here, here's the way that you help yourself and others. The end of the verse, you ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And the way you do it is you pay a close attention to yourself and your own doctrine, your teaching. Um, think about what would happen to our evangelistic efforts if we were led astray by a false or an incomplete gospel. Right? I mean, our evangelism would probably cease, or even worse, it would become dangerous. We would be teaching the wrong message. And what our ter- church uh, teaches is likely what we're going to share with others, and that's why we try to guard that very closely. In 1 Timothy um, 3.15, at the end of the verse, it says that the church, is the, li- the, the church of the living God is the pillar and the support of the truth. And I've often said, you know... The, the the job of protecting and guarding the truth is not just the pastors. Okay, it's not just my responsibility. It is one of my if uh, one of my main responsibilities. But it is also your responsibility to guard me, because what happens uh, is that if if a church starts to allow a pastor to teach something that is false, then over time that church is going to uh, start waning in their spirituality. And they're also going to um, they're also going to start hiring false teachers. That's what we saw in in Second um, Timothy. You know that that eventually these uh, these people will get get teachers in there who will tickle their ears and give them what they want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. They'd rather just have a message that feels good and um, and, and go from there. So we need to be careful about our theology because our theology. 
drives our methodology. Uh, how we live is determined by how we think. How we live is determined by what we believe. And so that's why Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine, your teaching closely. Persevere in them so that you'll save yourself and those who hear, hear you. So faithful preaching protects and preserves the good news of Christ from false doctrine. And finally, we should see our services as opportunities to invite our, our church services as opportunities to invite others to church. You know, um, I hope you recognize that if you invite someone to church, you haven't given the gospel. Okay, that's a good thing to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do that, to, to invite people to church, because there will be opportunities for them to hear the gospel. It will be opportunities for them to see other relationships in action. That's a good thing. Okay, but as I've said before, you know, sometimes we think the goal of evangelism is to invite them to church. And sometimes uh, we're surprised when unbelievers don't come to church. And um, so that's why I think the most important way or the most helpful way to do evangelism is through relationships, is to actually to give the gospel. But, but perhaps inviting them to church is a way that they can see, um, see our good works. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. You know, some, sometimes there are unbelievers who come to our church and see the love that's displayed among us, and as a result, they glorify God. And that's certainly what we want to see happen. Um, so see that service is an opportunity to invite people to church. The gospel will be proclaimed here. Not every, uh, not every message is specifically about the gospel, but all of the, the, the gospel is the good news about Christ and the Bible is about Christ. So no matter what passage of the Scripture that we talk about, there's going to be some aspect of the gospel in the broadest term that's going to be spoken. And uh, certainly uh, when I recognize that there are unbelievers here, I often uh, give uh, a clear presentation of the gospel as well uh, included in the message. Okay, so invite people to to the church service. How does the church serve as a witness to the world for Christ? Here again, we need to make a, a distinction between proclaiming the gospel as a church and living the gospel. Both are critical. Okay, we we need to live according to the gospel, but but by witness, how we witness to the world. I'm referring to those aspects of our lives together. Okay, that we are together a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a a holy nation, a people. Um, uh, of God's possession. And uh, we want to testify to the truth of the gospel that we proclaim. And one of the ways that we do that is we have some events that are designed for unbelievers to come and just to encourage and invite our neighbors to develop relationships like we had with the Community Cookout and Christianity Explored and uh, you know other events that we have. Um, again, we want to develop relationships that lead to sharing the gospel. Well, let's think about the role of our uh, church covenant in our witness. And uh, I should have had the hymnals out for you because if you had the hymnal, you could just look in the back and see this for yourself. But I did put some of that there on your handout so you can see. Uh, there, there's a longer paragraph of things that we engage, we engage therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit um, to forsake the paths of sin and to walk in the ways of holiness. Okay, there's lots of things in there. Uh, but But what I wanted to focus on is we 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 engage therefore to contribute to the spread of the gospel throughout all the nations. Okay, so that's part of our our um, 
our church's understanding from the very beginning of our need to spread the gospel throughout the nations. Matthew 28. That's not enough for us to just, you know, uh, enjoy the gospel for ourselves. We should do that. And to, to make sure that it's captivating us. It's not enough for us to just to reach the people around us. That would be great. But, but we have responsibility, I think, based on 3 John, that, that we have to, to, to send people out for the sake of the name. And uh, so that's what that statement's about. And then the next statement, we also engage, uh, the whole paragraph is, we also engage to maintain family and personal devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our acquaintances. So when we joined the church, um, we agreed to this church covenant. Uh, that This is part of how we are going to live. We have uh, the very first two things that were created by the original members of this church in 1939 were the statement of faith and the church covenant. The statement of faith is what we believe. Okay, so if we want to know, okay, you know, are we going to allow people into our church who believe something differently? Well, let's look at what we believe. We have a whole statement of faith. We've gone through that before. And um, it's on our website if you don't have a, a copy of that for yourself. Uh, we actually went over it, I think, a couple months ago in here. Uh, that's what we believe. The church covenant is how we uh, how we have agreed to live together. Okay, so what what kind of ways do we agree to live together? It goes on to say that we'll walk uprightly in the world, be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, avoid tattling, backbiting, excessive anger, and so on. So there's lots of things in there, but one, the the focus here is that our church covenant does encourage us that we're going to seek the salvation of our acquaintances. Again, it's the goal. The goal is faithfulness with a view toward conversion. Okay, the goal is not conversion because if we go to that goal and move and push faithfulness to the side, then we're going to change the message and do whatever is necessary to get them to say yes. And that's actually not a genuine conversion anyway. Okay, what we want is a goal towards faithfulness to the message. God's going to determine the increase but with a view toward, we, we have a desire to see them converted, and I think that's what our statement encourages. Implicit in these commands are two um, implications. We cannot live the Christian life and become mature in our faith without the aid of others. Okay, We can't just... Um, we just can't do it, and it was never God's intention for us to live alone. First Peter 2, we are a chosen race. Okay, We're, we're a whole people that God has put together, not not designed to live on an island or um, as an individual Christian out on our own. Secondly, the more, more, more to the heart of the witness, it's within the local body of believers that the fruit of the Spirit testifies to the truth of the Gospel. So as we seek the salvation of our acquaintances, we want, to, we want others to see our love for each other. Um, and one of the prevalent ideas today is that Christians are part of the church universal, the universal church, and therefore it doesn't matter if they're a part of a local church. Um, but so, so why is it that membership does matter to a local church when we're universally united to Jesus? And that is true. I mean, if, if when we come to Christ, we're automatically uh, placed into the body of Christ universal, why does it matter if we're part of a local church or not? And I think there's there's lots we could say about that, but joining a church is a clear sign of commitment to a community which which is witnessing both the non-Christians and it's also encouraging the Christians 
that God has put in our lives. And it, and it shows us um, how to love each other. We have all these commandments that we're supposed to do to one another. Right? We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to sing to one another. But we can't do that just with the church universal. Right? Uh, we, we can't just, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll encourage just any Christian that I know. That's not the idea. And we have responsibilities to uh, leaders within a specific church. There are no leaders of the universal church. I hope you recognize um, no pastor and deacons of the universal church. So none of those commands make sense apart from membership in a local church. And, uh, you know, say a lot more about membership, but, but there, there is no indication in the New Testament from the establishment of the church that, that a person was saved and then not added to the church. Okay? When, when a person was saved, they were baptized and then added to the church. Um, uh, once the church was established, that was the pattern, and so that's why membership in a church is so important. And uh, and part of the reason for that is that our love for one another uh, distinguish, uh, distinguishes us as disciples of Christ. Listen to John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is Jesus talking. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, so, so people will notice that you are a disciple of Christ if you love one another. So how do we ensure that, that we're living up to God's calling on our lives together to be witnesses to the world? And that leads us to our next point, which is on the next page, church discipline. It's used by God in the Old and New Testament to maintain the purity of the covenant community. Um, obviously, the, the focus for us is going to be on the New Testament. Um, and it's a means to support and protect the church's corporate witness and ultimately God's glory. Any questions so far? All right, let's keep moving here. We're getting uh, short on time here. A large part of the way our, our community matures and displays those supernatural qualities that testify to God's character is through church discipline. Okay, Now, church discipline takes two forms, and I hope you recognize that the same thing is true with with. Uh, discipline in your home. You know, with your children, there's two forms of discipline. There's formative discipline and corrective church discipline. So, anyone have an idea of what formative church discipline might look like? Okay. No, that's that's more corrective. That's like we see a problem... And now we're trying to correct it, so then eventually bring it to the congregation. Okay, teaching? Okay. Okay, so you have an agreed-upon way that we're going to do things. We're actually teaching the church those things. Mike, did you have something else to add? Well, I was just thinking it was more, like you say, in the teaching and the writing of the Scriptures. Okay, so uh, uh, we, we discipline ourselves by as a church by in a formative way by by learning more about the truth by understanding more about the gospel by listening to faithful preaching by being involved in bible studies by uh reaffirming our church covenant by sitting in a class like this 
um, by coming to our Sunday evening services. These are all ways in which we positively bring about discipline in a person's life. You know, uh, I hope you recognize that um, that that when you're raising a child, you do, you know, if if all we ever did was give them corrective discipline, then we wouldn't really be doing our job as parents. Right? We need to form in them. We need to give them a formative approach to discipline. Hey, we're going to teach you what is right. That's why all scriptures are profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The first and the last one, doctrine and training and righteousness, those are the formative kinds of discipline that we need. Okay, Those are positive ways in which we learn. And then there's some corrective kinds. There's re- uh, reproof and correction. That is, you know, this is what you're doing. This is where you're supposed to be. And that's the corrective part, okay? And, and obviously, that's the one we tend to think of when we think of church discipline, that it's, it's kind of all the negative thing. But I hope you recognize there's more to church discipline than just the, the corrective part. Corrective church discipline refers to bringing members who have broken the church covenant or who are living opposed to the Scriptures, living in sin, um, bringing that to their attention. Remember, when we do this, the first stage of church discipline is not bringing it to the church and removing them. The first stage of church discipline is what? Telling it to them. You see them, they sin against you, you go to them. Okay, that's that's corrective church discipline. If they if they repent, then you've won your brother. Great. You've done church discipline. And no one has to know about it. Isn't that great? Then the next step is if they don't repent, then you take one or two more. Because by the testimony of two or three, um it, it will it will be clear. And then after that, then you take it to the church. And then the, the last step, obviously, is to remove them from the church if they're still willing to un, uh, still willing um, unwilling to repent. And the goal in each stage is repentance, restoration. We want to see them restored to the place where they have been corrected or formed properly into uh, what the what the scriptures say. And uh, so. This is uh, something that we can often do and we should be often do, doing in, even in conversations. That, you know, as, as someone says something that's way out in left field theologically or they're, they're living in a way that is completely defined against the Scriptures, we should be challenging them. Okay? And that doesn't mean, you know, we thump the Bible and, you know, you know kind of just point our fingers at them and that kind of thing. But rather, we should be challenging them, and one of the best ways to do that is just with questions. You know, um, is that is that what the scriptures are calling us to do? I mean, is that the way we're supposed to be living with, uh, you know, at work and, and in our neighborhood? Are we really supposed to be? Is there a scripture that you have that, that tells you you can you can live that way? And that's that's corrective church discipline that happens because sometimes we think the church discipline, the leaders can handle that. Okay. We'll give that to the pastor. Oh, there's a there's a sin problem. Okay, we'll tell the pastor about that. Okay, but but actually we have a responsibility when Jesus says, "If your brother sins against you, go tell it to your pastor." No, he doesn't say that. Okay, in fact, the pastor doesn't even get involved uh, in in that until really the third step once they have rejected. Um, that doesn't mean I don't want to get involved and help. Um, obviously, there there are times in which there's something that's just you know, I don't know what to do. And and uh, I think it's wise to, to turn to the the person that God has put in in um, 
in a position to help. I mean, that's part of my responsibility is to help know what sound doctrine and practical Christian living looks like. And, um, you know, I'm glad to help along the way. But, but, uh, but obviously we have a responsibility to go to that person. In fact, sometimes when people come to me and, you know, uh, want to punt on their responsibility to go to that person themselves, I often send them to that person. You know, uh, well, have you, have you gone to them? Have you gone to that person and told them about their sin? And, uh, and that's, that's the way the Scripture prescribes. I'm certainly willing to help you along the way. I'll, I'll help you think of a question or a, a statement, or a passage of Scripture that you can use to help them to see this, but have you gone to them? And um, as we do this, as okay, we, we kind of think of this as a negative thing, but actually this guards the purity of our church. It actually keeps the goats out. Okay, we we want to make sure that that we're a church of sheep. Okay, it keeps keeps the wolves out. Um, that we're a church full of sheep, and and one of the ways we do that is you know that doesn't look like a sheep, and we know what sheep look like because we're around sheep, and we know I mean God tells us what sheep are supposed to look like, and that looks more like a goat to me, even though the the exterior shell might look like a sheep to everyone else. Um, you know the way that you're living tells me that you look more like a um, a wolf or a um, I'm adding all sorts of animals here but you get the idea <coughs> implications for our individual evangelism um, one is and uh, I, obviously you you all agree with this that we should be a member of a church um, we should join a church because it's biblical because being a member of a corporate body is helpful for our own personal growth as well as for our own personal Evangelism, and when we do that, you know, it says something to the watching world. Why are they a member of that church? Why do they spend so much time with people that, other than their love for Jesus, they don't have a ton in common with those people? Um, it, it causes people to ask question: Why do they, why do they turn down an activity on a Sunday? Why do they make it such a priority to be at church? And they wonder what's so special about being a part of a church like that. Uh, we live in a society that treats church like a commodity. You just kind of give and take. You know, if it's, if it's there, if it's good, you know, use it. But, but when they see someone who actually values the church and embraces the church and lives with all of their schedule in line with what the church is doing, like I, I got to see what's going on in church before I can, you know, can commit to that. Um, then, then it, it raises some questions, some good questions on the part of non-believers. Secondly, the church also offers non-Christians a way to see firsthand and uh, the care and love for one another. Important part of of that is simply being hospitable to one another and being hospitable to the non-believers when you see them in our church. You know, you see someone you don't know, be hospitable to them. You know, help them find their way around, help them to feel welcome, help them to recognize that hey, you know. It's just us. I don't know what you're doing here. You, you're not welcome here type thing. We would never say that, but sometimes we do that with our actions by not um, welcoming them and encouraging them. Thirdly, when we're recipients of church care and support, we're, we are provided with a powerful witness to um, non-believers. So, for example, when you visit a member of, of the church in the hospital and then member after member comes and visits that person, you know who starts to notice that? 
Okay, the family members of that person in the hospital who might be unbelievers, and the hospital staff. Like, man, I know a lot of people that, that are in here for weeks and months and they never get seen by anyone. And that this person comes in and, and all these people are visiting them, that just shows that, that we have a love for them and it leads to potential questions down the road that, that um, we want them to ask. So some practical things that we do to aid in personal evangelism. Okay, we offer a class like this that obviously helps us to be equipped and motivated to, to evangelize. We also have Christianity Explored. Um, we offered last year or this past summer and uh, certainly want to do that again and and give some opportunities for unbelievers to just have some dialogue with regard to what the gospel says. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting where we can pray about specific opportunities. You know, hey, listen, I, I, I was able to talk to a friend at work or I was able to talk to a a family member about the gospel and and it seems like they're they're thinking through this. Will you pray with us that that this will happen? Um so certainly lots of other ways, but the the primary way is by preaching the word of God faithfully that we want to be um faithful in the scriptures so that uh we know we each know what the gospel is and how to give it to others and also when unbelievers come into our midst that that they know um and and can be challenged by it. All right. Any questions or comments? Again, this doesn't nullify our individual responsibility. The church is a support for you in that way. We each have responsibility to develop relationships and encourage people to come to Christ, to, to challenge them to do so. But the church certainly is, is um, uh, the primary way in which you are motivated and equipped to do so. You have to be the one to make yourself available and actually do the talking. And sometimes, you know, if you're, you know, uh, you can invite them and introduce them to other relationships in the church and say, hey, listen, this person really knows how to share the gospel, and and I'm going to just have some uh, conversations with him so that he can share the gospel with my friend. Or, you know, listen, I'm I'm going to let you listen to this message, you know. Come to come to this service and listen to to what the pastor has to say. And uh, I I know that's my that's the way my parents came to Christ. You know they came to Christ by my aunt and uncle were the ones that they had seen a difference in. But they didn't. My aunt and uncle couldn't explain it very well. They were fairly new Christians. But they said, "Why don't you come and listen to our pastor preach?" And he did. And uh, he preached. And my parents were there multiple times. And they heard the gospel over a period of time. And and eventually. Um, Submitted to it, so perhaps you have a story like that. Uh, so, so use the church for all that it has for the sake of your own evangelism, but continue to pray that God will will do the work. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that the gospel has reached us. We're constantly reminded of your mercy in that way and allowing us to receive it. And so, we uh, pray that you would do help us to love the gospel and love others love you enough to to share it with others uh there's nothing uh there's no greater way that we can show love to an unbeliever than to um point them to the truth of the gospel so we pray that you help us help our church to improve in this way as well